Hi, I'm Phil Steele, and you're listening to The Monarchist. I'm Aaron. And I'm Mike. And you're listening to The Monarchist Podcast. Today, we welcome Damien Sortelet to the show. Damien is a graduate of George Mason University and covers Liberty Athletics University, Liberty University Athletics for the News in Advance in Lynchburg, Virginia. Welcome to the world's best and only ODU podcast. Hey, Damien. Thank you for joining us tonight. You've been in Lynchburg covering sports for about a decade now. Can you talk to us about how much has changed in that time for Liberty Athletics? Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, thanks for reminding me how long I've been there. Yeah, I started there late November of 2012, and back then... Williams Stadium was just getting out of being like a hole in the ground there. They'd done some massive renovations a few years prior to make it a reputable facility in the FCS world. And, you know, since then, oh gosh, how much have they spent? I think they're up to like $300 million spent on athletic facilities in that time from obviously the upgrading of Williams Stadium to where it is now. And I'm sure if you guys made the trip last year from Norfolk to Lynchburg, you saw that as well uh, to a new baseball stadium that's nine years old now, softball stadium, indoor track and field facility, natatorium. They just upgraded the field hockey facility after that program went to the national championship game a year ago. Uh, I spent $65 million on a new basketball arena that is more intimate with 4,000 4,000 seats, so it does get really loud in there if it's a packed crowd. And just they've invested a lot. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the indoor practice facility for football. They just finished an indoor tennis facility adjacent to their outdoor courts. And they're currently finishing up a multi purpose center, which will allow these outdoor sports like baseball, softball, and the such to go in and practice during inclement weather like we could have this, like we we're very well going to have this weekend. So that campus has changed tremendously. And I know they've spent a billion dollars on upgrading the entire campus over the last decade from new dorms, new dining facility, a new library. I know they're upgrading the Welcome Center. So that that campus has changed dramatically in the decade that I've called Lynchburg home. And, you know, it's just been enjoyable, just fun. For, I'm just along for the ride right now and just seeing, you know, where this athletic program's going. All right, so Liberty moved up to the FBS in 2018, had amazing COVID season behind the arms and legs of Malik Willis, went 10-1, and one, finished 17th in the polls. It was a phenomenal season for you guys. In 2023, Liberty moves to Conference USA. So can you talk to us about that transition, where the program's headed under Hugh Freeze? Yeah, it was that transition was needed because, as you guys well know, being in Conference USA and moving to the Sun Belt, having a home – in the bowl subdivision is imperative, especially with the expanded CFP coming down the line. And hope, hopefully, you know, if say Old Dominion runs the gamut in the Sun Belt, which is by going to be no easy task any given year. But if you have one of those special seasons, you could be the top rated G5 team and get a ticket punch to the CFP. And that's what Liberty saw it needed to do. You could be an independent and build these 12-game schedules where you're playing ODU on a yearly basis. You're playing the likes of Army, UMass, UConn, those fellow independents, but with 
the emphasis now on building greater strength of schedule, which usually means playing more conference games. Those opportunities of playing, you know, power five teams, you know, multiple multiples of those on any given year are going to drop dramatically. And conferences are probably going to look to fill their schedules by adding going to probably a ninth conference game because, um, you know, just as a trickle down of what the power conferences are doing. So I think they saw the writing on the wall that there was going to be, it was going to be very difficult to fill out full 12 game schedules, unless you had a, an affiliation like Notre Dame has with the ACC where you get five games a year and then Notre Dame gets to pick, you know, what other seven games at once. So that's where Liberty saw it needed to go to a conference. And Ian McCall has been on the record. They had talks with the American, they had talks with the Sun Belt which, by all means, I think Liberty and the Sun Belt in that East Division with ODU, James Madison, Marshall, App State, Coastal would have been absolutely bonkers every year, just the rivalries you would have built. But that didn't work out. So Conference USA is where Liberty lands. Now, you guys know very well the struggles that's going to come with that, especially with travel for non-football sports, you know, having to send volleyball out to Las Cruces and El Paso every year is going to be a bit of a challenge, but it's a move they need to make in order to be in this conversation. And specifically with Hugh Freeze, he's on board with it because now they have a seat at the table. And it's something that they're looking forward to, just having the chance, instead of getting to six wins and becoming bowl eligible as a goal, which is what they have for this year, they want to now compete and win conference championships. Um, in that way, you guarantee yourself a bowl game. And if you have a special season like you had in 2020, you put yourself in the discussion for one of those 12 playoff spots. And I think that's something, you know, moving to Conference USA, when you look at it, it doesn't look like the greatest conference in the world. It's by no means on level with where the Sun Belt is right now, but it's it's a foot in the door, and that's what they needed. Also, if you're trying to get a path to college football playoff in the G5, maybe having an easier schedule will be more helpful. Yeah, Western Kentucky is proving that it's a good program on the rise. Same with Middle Tennessee. We saw what MTSU did last weekend, getting a million and a half from Miami and handing the hurricane to loss. And then Western Kentucky very well could have beaten Indiana a few weeks ago. Louisiana Tech's usually a pretty good program as well. Yeah, and, you know, UTEP could do what UTSA did last year and get a roster filled with upperclassmen, especially when you can recruit Texas and have one of those special seasons. So the league's going to be good. I don't know how long it's going to take Jacksonville State and Sam Houston State to get to the level they've, the success they've had at the FCS level, at the FBS ranks, and recruiting's going to be far more challenging now because Jacksonville State and Alabama, you got to compete with the Tide and the Tigers, not to mention South Alabama and Troy, and then Sam Houston's got to compete with all the Texas schools now for those top recruits to get better. So um, that's going to be a challenge for those two programs, but they'll get there and that league will be good, especially in basketball. But, you know, right now, the way Liberty's playing, you would, you would hope the Flames could be the class of that league for a few years and put themselves in, you know, prime discussion for, uh, you know, to be one of the top G5 teams. So, obviously, replacing the talents of a guy like Blake Willis is a pretty tall task. But Liberty used the portal well to land Charlie Brewer, 
and Caden Salter. However, both talented QBs have been sidelined with injuries, though earlier this week, Hugh Freeze noted that Salter should be good to go. Is Salter a full go? And if so, what can we expect from him? I don't know if Salter's a full go, but the open portion of practice I got to see Tuesday, he looked pretty good. He was able to run around. Didn't seem like he had any restrictions on throwing the ball movement. But, of course, I saw only four periods of 15-period practice. So I didn't see, you know, you get to see the full scope of it. But if Salter is 80%, he presents that true dual threat quarterback who he's not as fast as Malik Willis. He's not as strong as Malik Willis. But the one thing that allows him to, to thrive more is his ability to keep the, you know, keep his eyes downfield and look for the ability to throw the ball. And he's done that very well with with Demario Douglas this year. He's a much shorter version of Ali Jennings in terms of his ability to win one-on-one battles and find sweet spots in the defense. Jennings is the more explosive of the two in terms of his deep threat ability, whereas Douglas, you can throw him a hitch, you know, eight yards. And then he'll make a guy miss and pick up you know, 20 additional yards. That's his thing. And that's what Douglas has done very uh, Sorry, Salter has done very well. And if he can go, he does. He gives that option. And if it's raining, I don't think the rain's going to be as big of a deal as the wind. And I know Mac Brown, the UNC's coach, said that earlier today. The wind's going to be a factor. And that means you might not throw the ball, but his running ability you would have to, ODU is going to have to account for that as a plus one run. And that could benefit Liberty in a game like this where you might have fewer possessions because you're going to have to run the ball quite a bit because of how hard the rain's coming down and how you know hard the wind's blowing. ODU has struggled all season on third down with running quarterbacks. So I think all ODU fans are a little concerned about facing someone as capable of running the ball as Salter because while we faced good running quarterbacks so far, we haven't faced anyone as good at running as Salter. Maybe the other guys had better arms or a better offensive system to work under, but Salter's skills are pretty clear on the stat sheet. One other thing I noticed while looking at the stats, Liberty has scored a lot of points in the fourth quarter. Some that I think probably could be attributed to how they run the ball. You're beating up teams, and by the time you get to the fourth quarter, maybe they're gassed. How would you explain it? Okay, so let's see. Fourth quarter points, they had to score a bunch against Southern Miss because they were down seven when Salter entered for Jonathan Bennett and had to go down, score. They were down seven twice in the fourth quarter, and they had to come back and score. Wake Forest, you had to score points to keep up with the Deacons, especially after missing on a few shot plays in the third quarter when Liberty had a chance to take a 10-point lead. You know, they had to score some points there. Those were more of being able to keep up in that game, not necessarily running the ball, because I think all of the scores that they've had in the fourth quarter have been, with the exception of this past weekend against Akron, have been throwing the ball. They've had to get into situations where you have to throw the ball to get back into the game. You know, the only game where they've entered in the fourth quarter with a lead was UAB, they were able to run some clock off, but you know, allowed UAB to get back into it. And then Liberty was able to ice the game away with Salter on a ride read where it was a perfect design where he read both end and backer crashing, pulled it and picked up like 40 something yards to put it away. And that's 
probably what you're alluding to is that was on like a second down call, second or third down call. And that oh, something- I can clarify. So what yeah. I meant was you guys running the ball well throughout the game is what allows you to bust loose in the fourth quarter for a lot of points. Yeah, that does. To wear um, teams down. Right, but in, in both cases, Southern Miss and Wake, they had to come back to win it. You know, they ran the ball very effective against Wake, but Wake got, you know, played much better defense in the fourth quarter and forced Liberty, you have to throw it. Another thing is, and I'll bring this up, and you guys might have brought, we're probably going to bring this up, is Liberty's first down offense has been kind of atrocious this year. I think their average to go on first down is like first and 11 or first and 12 because of so many pre-snap penalties that they've had that they're getting behind the chains and they're not being able to run the ball more than what they already are. I mean, you can look at the stat sheet and say, man, they're averaging 193 rushing yards a game, but they ideally want to be like they were in 2020 when they're averaging 250 rushing yards a game and eating up the clock and doing a lot of things. So, you know, a lot of that will be a Shadro Lewis healthy. His, he's had an ankle issue for most of the year. You know, he's the third leading rusher behind Day-Day Hunter and Caden Salter. And TJ Green, who was the team's leading rusher a year ago behind Malik Willis, you know, he hasn't played this year with a left knee injury, but he has suited up the last two games. And do you want to run him out there for the first time this year in the adverse conditions at SB Ballard Stadium? So that could help in a way to not be behind the chains like they have been because if you get behind the chains against the ODU front seven, they're going to they're gonna have some problems. <laughs> yeah, so we were talking about guys being nicked up. Last week, the entire left side of the Liberty offensive line was out. Are they back this week? And are there any other offensive injuries that Liberty is worried about? So Nasir Watkins and Jacob Bodden left and left tackle and guard respectively. Both left in the first half of the game against Wake Forest and did not play against Akron. Watkins and Bodden were both at practice Tuesday and both looked good. I know Watkins was favoring his right leg against Wake when he came out and Bodden had his right arm in the sling and both seemed to be doing just fine. So that gets Liberty to back to a nine-man rotation on offense. You know, I think C.J. Daniels, the wide receiver, who was second on the team in receptions and receiving yards a year ago, I think he's going to be a full go against ODU, which is pretty remarkable because it was nine months, or sorry, six months ago where he tore the ACL in his what right knee and he had surgery not long after that, and he's already back, which, you know, if you were asking me back in the summer when we were expecting him back, I would have thought mid-season, not game five, or not game four to actually get on the field and run some routes. So, and I've already touched on TJ Green. I think Caleb Sneed, who had his best game of the season against Wake Forest, I don't think he's going to be available with a right foot injury. I know he suffered that late against Wake Forest, and he was in a boot on the sideline against Akron, and then I didn't see him at practice Tuesday. So I don't think he's going to be back. But other than that, I think Liberty, from an offensive standpoint, is about as healthy as you can get, minus Brewer, minus Snead at the moment. All right, so shifting a little bit, let's talk about the defense. Liberty has fared pretty well on this side of the ball, and a lot of Liberty fans think that they're actually more talented on this side of the ball. Can you talk to us about what's made them so effective so far this year? 
Yeah, I actually wrote a story about that today that's appearing in the Thursday edition of our newspaper. It's about the defensive line. And, you know, that front group has accounted for 11 of the team's 13 sacks and 19 and a half of the team's 33 tackles for losses through four games. And those numbers are better than any season Liberty's had since joining the FBS ranks in 2018. You have a quality nine-man rotation up front with most you know, a significant amount of transfer portal guys, Dre Butler, Jay Hardy from Auburn, Dennis Asagadi from Stephen F. Austin. Then you throw in guys that they recruited like Treshawn Clark at end, Christian Zachary at end, then Darrell Johnson, who they got from a junior college, and Stephen Sings, who they recruit actually flipped him from Virginia Tech. They've done a good job recruiting those guys and getting them ready. And I'd be remiss to mention Kendi Charles there, defensive tackle, who ODU fans should remember because he had three sacks last year against the Monarchs, and he played only 30 snaps. And it's been his best game so far in a Liberty uniform. And that group has just gotten so much better. The core of that is they brought in Jeremy Garrett as a position coach, and he was previously working as a defensive line assistant with the Cleveland Browns. So what he has done, he's brought in a lot of NFL-type work ethic for that group. They do a lot of note-taking. Um, he even told us Tuesday that most of his players have already asked for new notebooks because they've already filled up their entire first notebook through four weeks because they do a lot of study in terms of tendency of offensive linemen. You know, what do certain linemen do when they line up in this position or when they shift in blocking one way, what does that mean for them in terms of how they're trying to gain leverage and, you know, what type of block they're about ready to deliver. And that's something that's been really cohesive for that group is to be able to have that type of ability and that type of knowledge of what the opponent's doing so that way you can use your best blitzes and stunts for that. And then, you know, Mike Smith Jr., a junior college transfer from Mississippi, has been absolutely outstanding. He's all runs all over the field, same with Ahmad Walker, a sophomore who played as a true freshman last year. And, you know, that front seven, front six, you know, depending on if they're lining up in an even or odd front, has been really strong for Liberty this year. And it's a reason why they are tied for fourth in the nation with 12 takeaways. And the, there is a downside to that takeaway that we can get to later because they often haven't done much at all off those takeaways so far this year. But, you know, that defense has been playing really well, and it's been the strength of this team. And it's something that Hugh Freeze said at the beginning of the season, that he expected the identity of the team to be the gritty, lunch pill mentality work ethic that you've seen from this defense through four games. Well, speaking of that identity, if you were going to give ODU fans a couple players that they needed to watch out for on Saturday, who would they be and why? Offense or defense? How about one one on each side of the ball and maybe someone on special teams? All right. I'll start on defense first, and it's going to be – you're going to need to keep an eye on number one, Javon Scruggs. He's the free safety. He's used his COVID year to come back for a fifth year, and he started all but two games since the 2019 opener against Syracuse. He's a guy who knows that defense in and out. He puts guys in the right position, especially on checks, and – you know, he was missed against Wake Forest. He didn't play for, you know, we weren't given a reason why he didn't play, but it was just he, he wasn't around the facility that week. Um, you know, he 
his ability to put guys in the right positions is key. And if you watch pre-snap, it's sort of a chess match. If you're going to watch Hayden Wolf and trying to pick out who is where on the defense, you're going to see Javon Scruggs from his free safety position basically yelling, hey, watch this, watch that, keep an eye on this motion guy, especially, you know, if ODU tries to motion to, you know, either for blocking purposes or to get someone open to see if Liberty's running a zone or a man scheme. So he's essential for that. I'd say on offense, I touched on him earlier, but not to an extent. It's Day Day Hunter. He's the transfer from Hawaii who has been a spark plug at running back and a consistent force for them. And you would not expect for a guy who lowers his shoulder and tries to run over people being five foot ten, 190 pounds and running with a violent tendency that you would see out of bigger backs like a Derrick Henry or Marshawn Lynch or Trey Mason. He's a guy who um, wants to run over you versus run around you. And then when he gets to the second level, like he did in a 43-yard touchdown run against Wake Forest, he has that second and third gear to get to. And then on special teams, you know, in a game like this, if rain and wind is going to be a factor and you need field position flipped, Aiden Al's a punter. Gosh, you know, in the fourth quarter against Akron, when you're up by two and you're trying to, you know, stay ahead, you know, he has a 64-yard punt that gets down at the one-yard line, flips field position, and Liberty scores after forcing a three and out to go up by nine. And he averaged 40, almost 50 yards on his three punts in the fourth quarter, which helped pin Akron back and force them to go the length of the field. And I, I think... In a game like this, if he's got the wind to his back and he's punting, he can help flip field position. And that's going to be something where you have a weapon like that on special teams. You don't mind punting it away if you know you can force ODU to have to go the length of the field. I, I was just going to say that yeah, I'm right now, I mean, I love our defense. The one dude that I think I'm worried about is Day-Day. I mean, the guy's got 57 carries and averaging almost six yards a carry. That's the guy we got to stop. And you know you were describing your defense a little bit. We got a guy, Jason Henderson, who's kind of calling those things out. I, I think there's going to be potential battle right there, especially if the weather's nasty and everybody's trying to run the ball a little bit more. Yeah, I think that I think that's going to be a key matchup. Yeah, I'd say Henderson and Scruggs are from the same type of cloth in the way they take command. And Scruggs doesn't get a lot of tackles, but he's always seems to be around the ball. Henderson's around the ball and he finishes tackles. He does not miss many based on what I've seen on film. That kid can, that kid is sound in his ability to wrap up and finish tackles. Yeah. He's fun to watch the past two games. We've seen him nursing like his feet and his shoulder and he just keeps going and it doesn't seem to slow him down at all. He's impressed us since he got here, but these last couple of games where it's clear he's banged up, it's, Put him on another level for me. But you jumped ahead on us with the punter. I was going to talk about special teams next. ODU's kind of made a name for itself the past two years with special teams. They led the country in block kicks last year. We blocked a couple this year. We we have Lamarion James, who's a dangerous kick returner. We have a great punter in Ethan Dwayne. How is Liberty going to deal with – what is their plan to stifle the ODU side on special teams? Well, it'll be 
first starters is making sure your gunners don't outrun your coverage because there were times against Akron, like Deion Biggins, probably one of the fastest players on the team as a reserve cornerback, and he outran you know, the punt returner, which led to some returns. The one thing Liberty's done really well this year is when is not outrunning your coverage and being able to be in a position to limit explosive plays or force them to make a fair catch because you don't see any alleys. And I think that's something that Liberty's going to be really focused on this week is making sure there's no alleys on any sort of returns. And Jason Stricker, the news kickoff specialist, over the past two weeks, all but one of his kickoffs has gone through the back of the end zone. And that one actually got returned for about 25, 30 yards. And then he decided, okay, I'm just going to boot it through the end zone and force you to start at the 25 instead of giving you an opportunity to get to the 30, 40-yard line. And I did notice because I was in Hattiesburg, Mississippi for the Southern Miss game opener. And I was at the hotel. I was watching the ODU Virginia Tech game. And I'm like, man, the Monarchs stole Beamer ball from the Hokies in that game with the way that they were playing. And, you know, I noticed, you know, when, say, Ricky Ronnie and Brett Pry were both at Penn State, you know, James Franklin made sure special teams were a priority there for the Denny Lions. Because you've seen over the years, like, a big block kick during one of those primetime games on ABC usually helps turn the tide for them. And you can tell that, especially Ronnie, he's brought that mentality to Norfolk with the ability to have special teams help turn the tide in games. And you never know in a game like this where offense may be, may not be as explosive for either team, a special team's play could very well determine the outcome of this game because you never know with these snaps, maybe the punter loses control of the ball and you have to go slosh through the, through the rain there on the field and man, I get a clean handle on it, and you know you might have a scoop and score on your hands. So that's something that you know Liberty for sure will need to be focused on. I'm sure Old Dominion's already been prepping for that this week, to because you know they know what's going to be like in that rain there, especially you know the low levels, the low sea level there in Norfolk. That you know it, there's going to be a lot of water, and you're going to have to know how to play in that. Now, luckily. If, it rains here quite a bit, so they've practiced in it. We don't have an indoor facility to hide in, so they're used to practicing in the rain. And that field drains really well. It's like the yeah. one place in Norfolk that actually drains well. So the field will be wet, but it won't be standing water on the right. field. You know, I'm interested in if it is raining and we've got wind, those two kickers who normally are booting the ball out of the end zone, like Lamarian hasn't had a ton of opportunities to bring balls out. So perhaps we see more opportunities for kick returners to actually get a little bit of action there more than we've seen in the first four games for each of these teams. Yeah, and I could see where if you're kicking into the wind, you try to sky kick that thing and force and force these kick returners to fair catch it. Because if you can sky kick that thing and make it have a lot of hang time, you don't want to risk getting clobbered right after you catch it. And I know Lamarian's probably good with that first step at making guys miss. And you either have Shadra Lewis or Demario Douglas back there returning kicks for Liberty. But if those guys are so integral in your offense, I don't think you want to risk them taking a big hit on special teams when you know in a game like this, every offensive possession is going to matter because you might not get as many as you would get in a normal dry game. 
Yeah, for you guys, definitely. I mean, Tamara, he's like the one guy who I think people would be really, really worried about catching the ball. I mean, he stands out on the stat sheet, so I could see how Coach Freeze would want to really pick his spots of using him. Yeah, and you know, Shazer Lewis went down with an ankle injury in the first quarter against Wake Forest, and Douglas was not only catching passes and being the primary slot receiver, he was returning kickoffs. He was returning punts. He he was sore after that one, after he was hobbling out of the uh, interview. And I was like, man, he hit straight for the cold up. And he goes, oh, yes, sir, I'm not getting out for a few hours. Because he was pretty beat up after that one. But, you know, for a guy who's 5'8", 170, you know, he's, he's able to, you know, be able to take a few licks and keep going back out there. So, Damien, let's talk a little bit about the fan base. How do Liberty fans view this game? Is it an exciting one for them, or they see it as a potential rivalry? And are they excited about this opportunity to play us, or they a little bit nervous about potentially losing to us this year? No, I mean, they are excited for it. And honestly, I wish this game was on the schedule every year because I think that would create a, a genuine rivalry because you go from – 2018 to 2021, 22. And then I think the next time these two teams play, I think 25, I want to say. So ideally you want to see these two teams play on a more yearly basis because it is good. I mean, this state needs a rivalry that stands out other than Virginia, Virginia Tech. I know James Madison ODU will have that over the years in the Sun Belt, but you know, before James Madison moved up, I really wanted to see ODU and Liberty play on a yearly basis. The fans see this as a toss-up. They don't see this see this going anywhere like anywhere close to the game. The last two meetings in Lynchburg, where you know Liberty just ran away with it, they don't see that happening because Ronnie's done a really good job in recruiting. He's done a really good job at filling holes where you need where where he needs to get position guys. He gets them. And this is an ODU program that has proven it can beat Virginia Tech. It can hang with UVA and should have beaten the Cavaliers and arguably could have beaten East Carolina. This is, these fans are expecting a all out 60 minute war. And it's something where, you know, it's exciting for them because it's a good litmus test for both these programs. And they're excited for it because you want to have state bragging rights. I mean, right now, ODU has the bragging rights in the Commonwealth by beating Virginia Tech and nearly knocking off UVA. And if ODU can beat Liberty and then beat James Madison, all of a sudden, ODU is like, man, we're the kings of the Commonwealth right now. You know, we beat three of the four other FBS programs. So in a way, Liberty's like, Liberty fans are excited for this one and they know the importance in coming out of Norfolk with a win because they know just how important in-state rivalries are and how you know a good back and forth game like this one you know if you get out of there with a win you know you can say man we beat a really good team all right so you talk about Liberty fans Liberty fans' excitement for this particular game. Right now, it looks like the weather is going to be just potentially butt nasty. Lots of rain on Saturday due to Hurricane Ian. How many Liberty fans do you think will make the road trip to Norfolk considering the weather they might face? 
You uh, so oh, I'll use the Southern Miss game. I think I saw about a thousand Liberty fans make the trip to Hattiesburg, Mississippi, for that one. I expect you'll have more make the trip there. I haven't heard about Liberty having to return any of the comp tickets or any of the allotted tickets. And if you look back to week two when they played at UAB, it was kind of raining sideways throughout the entire game. It was just one of those nights where you just happen to get a cloud, just sit right over top of Williams Stadium and just come down. And the entire student section stayed for the entire game and was loud. And most of the people on the we call this the Baptist side because it's where you know none of the students sit, so it's more of the older, older group, the the, the ones who can buy you know those club tickets and suites and all that stuff. They actually stuck around for that one too. So you know, right now you can tell with the way Liberty's playing and you know how good they've been over the last few years, you're getting more fans to show up and stay for games. And I think the fans who will make the trek to Norfolk will stay for the game. They'll stay for the whole thing. Doesn't matter if it's ODU's winning fifty to nothing or Liberty's winning twenty-one to nothing. You know, they're going to stay for the whole thing. And I think that's a good way to grow a fan base, considering this is most still predominantly an online institution, and you have alums spread across the state and spread across the nation and, you know, overseas too. So you don't have that traditional fan base that is on campus for four years, goes to these games and can actually grow with the program versus someone out in say California taking online classes and has never stepped foot on campus. So they really don't have that connection. And I think Liberty's been able to build a connection, you know, through adding more dorms and adding more, you know, in-person classes. So that way you can have that type of fan base that wants to stick around for four quarters. So we were told earlier in the week, the number of tickets Liberty bought was 500. I'd imagine most fans don't want to buy those tickets because they're kind of the worst seats in the stadium. (laughs) So hopefully they just bought on StubHub or something. So this game, Vegas opened the spread in Liberty's favor at two points. The line has since moved to three and a half. The total started at 47, and now it's down to 41 and a half. Clearly, a lot of people like the under here with this weather coming in. What's your take on how this game goes down? I definitely would take the under based on how both offenses have been playing recently. With the exception of the Southern Miss and Wake Forest games, Liberty's Liberty's played in games that have hit the under. UAB 21 to 14. I think the over under on that was close to 50. And then last week winning 21 to 12 and the over under on that was about 48. So Liberty is trending toward the under so far and you have to factor in the weather. And if the game gets shortened and I expect if it is pouring down rain and I've seen some models where they're calling for a quarter of an inch of rain an hour and you know, sustain winds like 15 to 20 miles an hour, you're going to run the ball and eat up a lot of clock, which would then shorten the game, shorten the amount of times each team has to score. I was surprised it wasn't more of a pick because of how both offenses have struggled this year. But, you know, I, I mean, Liberty being a road dog, you know. Oh, no, they're the road favorite. 
the favorite. See, see, that's the surprising thing for me. I thought it would be more of a pick them or slightly so ODU the, favored. It went from Liberty minus two to Liberty minus one, and then now it's switched back to, I guess, with the news of Salter being healthy, it moved back to three and a half. Okay. Yeah, I, I remember Salter is the real key here. Yeah, he would be the real key. You know, if he doesn't go, I mean, I think Liberty in that case would probably go with six foot six redshirt freshman Nate Hampton because they have a package called a thoroughbred package where all they do is run the ball. And if you're six foot six, kind of like Caden Wolf, all you got to do is fall forward and you pick up like a yard or two in addition to what you already got. So, yeah, I was shocked because I saw the line move down to minus one for Liberty and I thought just based on the weather and how good ODU's defense has been this year, especially at finding ways to stop the run that, you know, the line would have flipped to ODU's favor, but that's interesting that the line has gone up because of Salter. And so yeah. I think part of that might be how our defense doesn't really show up on stats unless you're looking at efficiency stats. Cause we give up a ton of yards and we've had a couple games where we gave a lot of points, but basically ECU, and we gave quite a bit of points to Arkansas State considering their offensive skill level. But, yeah, if you look at us statistically, you wouldn't know how good our defense really is unless you looked at the efficiency and red zone numbers. Yeah, and that's where, again, that's where Liberty is as well. I mean, Liberty has been giving up quite a few yards this year. But if you look at their red zone numbers, I think they're 10th in the nation in red zone defense. And then third down defense and fourth down defense, I think they're both in the top 25, if I'm not mistaken, last I checked. And I noticed ODU is very similar. And ODU and Liberty are both very similar. If you look at team sacks and tackles for losses, both of them are in, like, the top 30. So, you know, this might be a game where your tackle for loss numbers improve because you're able to bring in a little extra pressure because you know they're running the ball and you load the box. And that's where a guy like Henderson for ODU really comes into play because he will probably be able to see the creases as they develop and fill those holes. And then a guy like Scruggs for Liberty will be able to see it from his end and be able to tell the linebackers, hey, go to this spot and make sure you're there because that's where the crease is coming. So three and a half, that's wow. I'm I'm still kind of shocked that Liberty's actually gained a point and a half since it opened. So... Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, Mike, I was just looking. We're 24, so you've got Liberty's tied for 10th and Old Dominion 24th with regards to red zone defense. So, I mean, that looks to be a good battle, too. I, I know that Zach hasn't had a you know super fast start, and he was one of our really big weapons in the red zone last year. I mean, he's a big body, six foot eight. So, but, you know, he and... Hayden had a connection this past week in the red zone for a touchdown. So perhaps that ends up being something significant for us to watch this week. Yeah, I know uh, Hugh Freeze and Josh Aldridge both were like, man, that guy's, that guy doesn't look six foot eight. He looks six foot nine just by the way he plays. And Liberty's got a few like six foot five, six, six tight ends and Austin Henderson and Bentley Henshaw, but they're both more of those long, lanky tight ends who you would split out versus the really big body guys. Liberty doesn't have one of those guys in their fold. So that means you might see more type, more throws for like a Caleb Coleman, a TJ Yarborough, and Noah Frith outside 6'5", 
foot two, six foot four outside receivers in that case. But, you know, they both freeze and Aldridge specifically mentioned the tight end and how tough that's going to be for Liberty just matching up with him because of his size and his ability where if he gets leverage, he can box you out and get the ball. And you can also, he can also beat you at high point for that thing and attack it. So yeah, ODU does have a weapon there that does help them out quite a bit. So one more note on the gambling aspect, looking at action right now, Liberty has the large percentage of the bets, 84% of the bets, but they only have 74% of the money. But if we look at the computer model projections on action, they think this line is awful, just like you do. They think the line should actually be minus 1.8 for ODU's favor. So maybe one, one and a half, two to ODU's favor. So they agree with you. Yeah, that would make sense because usually you give the home team a touchdown. Just, I guess, for... I guess that's how I've always viewed it. You get a touchdown if you're at home, and then I always looked at it as three points. They should always get a field goal. Yeah, well, whatever it is, it seems like the robots are. We're going to be attacked by the robots here. And I'm one. hoping. I'm hoping. I'm hoping they're correct. It could go either way. Yeah, this is one of those games. Hugh Freeze says the 50-50 game, and he said that for Southern Miss. Said that for UAB. Said that for Wake Forest as well. And he views ODU as the most complete team that Liberty has faced this year from offensive line being physical and athletic to having the depth and an overall team speed on defense that, you know, it's a challenge. And I don't know how many chances Hing Wolf's going to get to throw it up to Allie Jennings because, you know, that was something that really paid dividends against Virginia Tech. Like every time, you know, Virginia Tech brought pressure, hey, you know, all you got to do is throw it up to Allie. And Allie either got a PI called or he caught the ball. And, you know, the wind's at your back, that might be beneficial. Just to try to take a few chances to him, which could be just as good, just flip field position and in a way to where, you know, Liberty's now playing on its heels. So, in my opinion, with the weather being what it is, it's going to set up really well for Zach Koontz to get loose. He's hard to cover already at his size and his speed, but a lot of his best passes are short intermediate routes. And that's the type of throws you can make in this type of weather. Um, it'll be up to Hayden to protect the ball, but I think Koontz might become the star of this game for ODU, depending on how you guys cover him. Yeah, and also it'll depend on if Liberty knows it can't get a pass rush, can they get their hands up and tip the ball? They've done a really good job of actually getting some tips this year at the line of scrimmage. Can you get tips at the line of scrimmage? So that way, Koontz does not become a factor. Because, sure, he's probably going to get his fair share of catches because Liberty doesn't have anyone six foot eight to guard him. You know, probably anyone who's going to be in his vicinity is going to be giving up five, six inches on him. So you Liberty's got to get their hands up and deflect some passes. So that way you do try to take away that short to intermediate passing attack. All right. Well, I guess on Saturday we're going to figure out if the guys in Vegas or the alien robots are right. And I'm hoping that the alien robots are right, picking Old Dominion. So, so Damien, if folks want to find your stuff, where they where can they go on, online to be able to be able to see that stuff? Yeah, Aaron, you can go to newsadvance.com 
And then, you know, you can scroll through to the sports section and go to LU Sports, and that's where all my content is. I tweet out everything at Damian Sortelet on Twitter. You can also find us on Facebook at, at News, Advan- News and Advanced Sports. So we get all that content up there as well. So you have some avenues to come find us on, on social media and online. And, you know, I'll be there in Norfolk um, Saturday in the press box for the game and, and hopefully trying to take and take a boat over to the hotel after the game to enjoy the enjoy the night there in Norfolk before heading back to Lynchburg. But, you know, I'm looking forward to making the trek out there and to the 757 and haven't been out there in a while. So looking forward to seeing how everything has changed and catch up with a few few people. I think you're going to like the new press box, cause especially with this weather. Cause the old one, you might have got it wet in. I don't know. <laughs> oh, there's a few press boxes that, you know, there's been a few of them that I've been to that, you know, if it if there's inclement weather, oof, it's been a little hit or miss there uh, for sure. But, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to SB Bauer Stadium. I know uh, Harry Minion, who works for ODU now, when I saw him in Lynchburg last year, he spoke highly of how uh, B. Ballard Stadium has been upgraded and how you know the university has made a commitment to having the facilities there top tier for the move to the Sun Belt, and so that way their athletes can compete at a level that can contend for championships. And I'm looking forward to getting out there. It's been a while since I've been to 757. You know, I have a few friends from college who called that area home, and I haven't had a chance to see them in a while. So you know, for the short time I'm out there, hopefully catch up with them. If not, get a chance to. See what I can in between the avoiding some raindrops. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight and go Monarchs. Go Monarchs.